thank you for all of your gifts and kindness to us. We love you. And we seek you this morning. We've gathered here together to worship you and to hear from you. And so we ask that you would teach us from your word and speak to us, challenge us, and, uh, and we will follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14. Page 653 in the Bibles that we give away. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And we're just going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And we're at this section here, the problem of immaturity. And so I thought, since we're talking about immaturity... Uh, maybe we should watch a video, okay? Ding, ticka, ding, ticka, ding, 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 ding. There he sits inside your local coffee shop, sporting a man bun and facial hair. Somehow he believes, although he has no job, that by his thirties he will be a millionaire. M I L L E N N I A L gotta love millennials. M I L L E N N I A L gotta love millennials. She posts lots of selfies on her Instagram. Hopes to change the world while wearing yoga pants Armed with her dreams and knowledge of essential oils Now, 
not to pick on just one generation, okay? In fact, uh, I was thinking this through. Every generation tends to have its particular sins. Uh, Looking at the silent generation, 1925 to 1945, perhaps prejudice and hypocrisy. Uh, Baby boomers, 1946 to 64, greed and rebellion. Gen X, 1965 to 1985, for sure bad music. <laughs> but, but other than that, I was trying to think, did they actually ever do anything? And I, I, I couldn't, you know, really, so maybe conformity, I don't know. That's <laughs> okay. Millennials, 80 to 94, lazy. Gen Z, the one coming up, 1995, it's maybe too early to tell, but maybe worry is a big one. Uh, so, but we all have our sins. It's funny. It's scary. The problem affects an entire generation. The problem is immaturity. Spiritual immaturity is not only present with millennials. It affects the entire church, even the church of the first century, as we'll see in our passage. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now, the context of our passage, if you remember just last week in chapter 5, we saw it was promoting how Jesus is great and how he is uh, he began to speak about how he's the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek and that's the context and it goes into this passage he's saying we have a great deal more to say about that about the doctrine of Jesus Christ and his great high priesthood but he says but you're too lazy to understand and so we see from that passage we see the context and then Chapter 6, we're going to see the third warning of the book of Hebrews, the warning against falling away and why this is so serious. So this section of Scripture is very important for us to understand. So let's walk through this. In verse 11, we see the immaturity comes from laziness. It says, we have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Uh, nothros is the Greek word. It means lazy or sluggish or dull, and specifically dull in the ears is what it goes on to say in the Greek. So I had a couple lazy jokes. Okay. The man told his doctor that he wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he used to do when the examination was complete. He said, now, doc, I can take it. Tell me in English, plain English, what is wrong with me? Okay, said the doctor. Uh, uh, he replied, in plain English, you're just lazy. <laughs> okay, said the man, now give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. 
Okay, here's one. This is good for Mother's Day, I think. Mother's Day, I think. What do you call a woman who works as hard as a man? Lazy. That was good for moms, right? Yeah. All the guys are shaking their heads, but uh, okay. Well, anyway. Immaturity comes from laziness, but with, it, with our passage, we see that it's actually self-induced immaturity. In other words, we're culpable for our immaturity. We're not supposed to stay that way. In Albert Muller's commentary on this, he says, the author wants to continue talking about Christ's priesthood, but he stops. Why? Is it because Christ's priesthood is inherently difficult to understand? The author says the priesthood of Christ is difficult to explain, but it is But is it because Christ's priesthood itself is too perplexing? No. It is difficult to explain because the people have become too lazy to understand. They don't have the mature ears, minds, or hearts for grasping the concept. Those who are trained in Scripture and are progressing in the faith are better equipped to understand Christ's priesthood. But those who shut their ears to God's word regress in their faith and fumble in their comprehension. So we're responsible. And the church overall is, I believe, partially to blame for this immaturity. The encouragement of theological laziness, it comes in part, I believe, from the prevalence of topical preaching. Many churches today, especially since the 80s, have bought into this idea of topical preaching. That's where you just pick a topic and you do maybe a six-week series on, you know, how to be a better person or whatever it might be. And so you have these topics. Instead of going through the Bible verse by verse in, in the different books, where because when you go through the Bible, you have to deal with the difficult passages, But when you do topical stuff, you don't have to deal with the difficult passages. Topical preaching cuts out those difficult passages. I want to show you something here. You know what I have here? This is the Jefferson Bible. This is a Bible that Thomas Jefferson, our third president, uh, wrote. And what he did, because he was a deist, he didn't like all the miracles. He didn't believe that God... Did any performed any miracles, so he cut all the miracles out. It starts out, there's no virgin birth. It ends up with Jesus dying on the cross and no resurrection. Uh, so he cuts out all the miracles and all the difficult passages. It's basically just a book on how to be a good moral person. Now, Thomas Jefferson, he wrote that because he was a deist. Um, you think about that, and you think, you got to be kidding me. Somebody would dare to do something like that? But that's what we do when we preach predominantly topical messages is we cut out major portions of the Scriptures. And so we perpetuate this. We actually help our people stay babies. But why did the church do this? And I think in the church growth movement, 80s and 90s, one thing they discovered was that if they talked about anything that maybe uh, they said something that got somebody upset, well, I don't like that, 
those people would then leave and go find another church because there's a smorgasbord of churches around, right? So, and then they go to another church until they said something that they didn't like, and then they go. But the churches that realize if we don't ever say anything difficult and never say anything nobody's going to dislike, they'll stay and our church will grow, okay? Uh, In other words, the people are telling the pastors what they want to eat spiritually. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We see, and this is in in the context of this, according to chapter 3, verse 1, the context is, is in the last days especially, this is true. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means whether people are willing to listen to it or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so he says, he warns us here that the people, when they get in control and say, we want you to tell us what we want to hear. And when the pastors say, instead of feeding the sheep what's good for them, they feed the sheep what the sheep want to hear, nobody is helped by it. And I think that has at least helped in this whole area of immaturity that we see today, where we're spoon-feeding fluff to our congregations instead of the meat of the word. And laziness, by the way, is sin. We really shouldn't call it anything else, okay? Laziness is sin. Now, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 24. We could look at a multiple multitude of Proverbs to discover this, but I've just picked out a couple just to make the point that God doesn't want us to be lazy. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. He doesn't want us to be lazy because it's harmful to us. 24 verse 30, he says, I went by the field of a slacker. Now, uh, atzeel is the Hebrew word there. The ESV says sluggard. I kind of like that one, sluggard. It just kind of sounds lazy, doesn't it? Sluggard. Uh, King James says slothful. Okay, I went by the field of a slacker. And by the vineyard of one lacking sense, thistles had come up everywhere, weeds covered the ground, and the stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber and your need like a bandit. It doesn't sound good, does it? Okay. Look at chapter 20. Verse 4, go back a couple pages. He says, The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time he looks, and there is nothing. Now just imagine that. (laughs) 
He doesn't do any work. And then he goes to the field in the, during harvest time and wonders why there's no crop there, okay? That's, that's what it's saying. Look at chapter 21, verses 25 through 26. He says, A slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and don't hold back. Notice he's filled with craving all day long, but he refuses to work, and so therefore his craving actually will end up killing him. That's how dangerous this is. That's why God doesn't want us to be lazy, because it hurts us. Laziness is a sin. So immaturity comes from laziness, and then we see in verses 12 and 13... The immature are perpetual babies. They they seem to have grown up on the outside, but don't grow up on the inside. Perpetual babies. Um, Verses 12 and 13, back in Hebrews 5. It says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. So the immature are perpetual babies. All Christians are supposed to mature enough to become disciplers. Now, not everyone is a teacher in the office sense of the word. So he's not saying here everyone should be a a teacher in that sense. But everyone is supposed to be able to to disciple others, to be able to share how to become a Christian and how to grow as a Christian, to be able to share that with other people. So we're supposed to grow up at least in that sense is what this is saying. But tragically, these people had not grown up like that. The best parent gradually gives their child more and more responsibilities, teaching them to take responsibility for their own growth. That's when they're really going to begin to grow. Albert Moeller, again, speaks on this. He says, Our spiritual life should be such that we are learning to take responsibility for our own growth. We must be developing an appetite for grace, knowledge, and understanding. Here he says, that they're not doing that. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. The basic principles, the Greek word is stoicheia, and it means basically the ABCs of your faith. In other words, you're suppo- you need to learn the ABCs, but you got to get beyond that. In grade school, you learn the ABCs. If you're still learning the ABCs in college, there's something wrong. And that's true spiritually is what he's saying here. Mature believers dig into the word of God. They're also self-starters. They want to grow. They're taught how to feed themselves. And so then they dig in and begin to feed themselves. They read the Bible. They read other books in order to learn about God's word because they want to become mature. That's the mature believer. It is your responsibility to become a mature believer. We're here to help, but you need to learn to like 
stake. Okay? Uh, the King James, when it speaks of this word for solid food, it uses the word meat. Okay? So, meat. We need to learn to like steak, okay? And theology is the meat of the word. You see, in the context, as I already mentioned, they're too lazy to understand. They need milk, not solid food. They're too, the solid food is referring to the doctrine, in the immediate context, the doctrine of Jesus Christ and his high priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. I wanted to teach you this great doctrine, but you weren't ready for it yet. This good steak, but you were only taking in milk still. So that's what he's saying here in the context. Solid food, sterea, trophe. That word sterea is where we get our word steroids from that word. Steroids, uh, the theology of the Bible is healthy steroids for the soul. All substitutes are harmful steroids. And so theology is the meat of the word, but worldliness keeps us from eating meat. Now, our passage, he says, you need milk, not solid food. The writer of Hebrews very well might have known about 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, because it speaks very similarly in this context of this uh, idea of growing up in the faith. And here we see it's in the context of being worldly. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. Peoples of the flesh. The NIV says, still worldly. King James says, carnal. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you are not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still worldly. For since there's envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? And so we see that worldliness keeps us from eating meat, that just constantly uh, embracing the, the thoughts and ways of the world instead of digging in to see how God wants us to live our lives, it affects us to where we only want milk. We don't want the solid food, okay? Now, for babies, it's a good thing to give them milk. But when you get older, if you only drink milk, you get diarrhea, okay? In other words, spiritually, diarrhea of the soul. Churches that only teach milk create babies with diarrhea, it's not healthy, and it's sinful. Uh, Albert Moeller, again, speaks of this. He says, there's nothing wrong with giving milk to an infant. It is natural for an infant to live on a diet of milk. In fact, despite all of our scientific and technological advancement, we have never been able to develop something that can nourish an infant quite like a mother's milk. It would be pointless to put a steak dinner in front of a baby. The child is simply not ready for it. But everything is wrong with offering mother's milk when their child is ready for steak. 
That is why the word picture in this text is so powerful. This congregation ought to be eating spiritual steak by now. Instead, they're still living on milk. And some people think that people are just too stupid to really be able to eat meat. That if you speak over their heads, they're just going to go, and become dumb. They think of that as youth, too, by the way. But listen, youth are a whole lot smarter than we give them credit for. They can really grasp, and by the way, you are a whole lot smarter than people give you credit for. You can, if you give, put the energy to it, really grasp the incredible great truths of God's word. And that's the point that he's making here. Now, he finishes by showing how it's dangerous to remain a baby. In verse 14, back in Hebrews 5, he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Spiritual immaturity leads to moral immaturity because we're supposed to become, come to a place where we can distinguish between good and evil. He says that the mature can distinguish between good and evil. Now, the immature think they can, but they can't. Have you ever met someone who thought they were mature when they weren't? Have you ever been someone who thought he was mature when he wasn't? Okay. I nod my own head. Okay. Um, those who have been trained, it says uh, specifically, for those who've whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good, good and evil. That Greek word is gymnazo. We get our word gymnasium or gymnastics from this word. You need to work out your theology muscles to train your senses to be able to discern right from wrong. In other words, no pain, no gain. That's what he's saying spiritually here. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, states, he says, As we grow in the Word, we learn to use it in daily life. As we apply the Word, we exercise our spiritual senses and develop spiritual discernment. It is a characteristic of little children that they lack discernment. A baby will put anything into its mouth. An immature believer will listen to any preacher on the radio or television and not be able to identify whether or not he's true to the scriptures. Just as our physical bodies have senses without which we could not function, so our inner spiritual man has spiritual senses. For example, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear, Matthew 13, 16. As we feed on the Word of God and apply it in daily life, our inner spiritual senses get their exercise and become strong and keen. Paul called this process exercising ourselves unto godliness. But we need to exercise in this regard. Uh, this ability to distinguish good from evil is a sign of adulthood. We see this phrase, to be able to know good from evil, right from wrong, is used in reference to babies. It says that they were 
They hadn't come to a place yet of knowing right from wrong. Deuteronomy 139 is just one example of that. Babies don't know right from wrong. They're just babies. It's not that they're evil or anything like that, but they just have not learned this yet. And so kids, what do they do? Sometimes they throw a temper, right? A temper tantrum, kids. Okay? Adults don't do that. Unless they're not acting like adults, right? Okay. When we don't grow in our ethics, we hurt ourselves and others. Pride is a sin. It's condemned in Scripture. God says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We don't want to remain in our pride. We have to repent when we recognize this and see, I need to grow up and grow out of that. Worry is a sin. Lust is a sin. Gossip, unforgiveness, fits of anger, selfishness. These are all examples of not having grown up yet. Now, none of us have arrived, have we? Okay, I certainly haven't. I see in these things and I go, Lord, help me. I see in some areas maybe I have matured, but in other areas I have a lot of work in my life. And God is calling us to work on it. Okay? This is important because we need to be able to come to this place of being able to distinguish good from evil. You know what? You're not supposed to just take everything I say And believe it, because I am wrong sometimes. I just don't know. Why are you guys nodding? (laughs) Just kidding. I just don't know where I'm wrong, okay? You need to train yourself so that you're reading the Word, and when you hear it, if something doesn't sound right, no, you know, I think the Scriptures say such and such, Okay? really is we're all supposed to be growing in this because of this danger that we see if we don't grow. Now, there is a difference between good theology and speculation. Sometimes when you hear you need to learn theology, that people say that means you need to be an expert at Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, okay? And that might not necessarily be the case, although that's a good one to start out with, okay? But, But my point is sometimes... Those professors, and I'm a professor, so I I know this, okay? Sometimes they engage in speculation that really is fruitless. Paul actually speaks against that. Let's look at some of these passages here, this balance. So there's a difference between good theology and speculation. Look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul, just towards the end of his life, writes this. And uh, when he was imprisoned the second time, by the way, if you haven't seen the, the movie, The Apostle Paul, great, great movie, well done movie. Speaking of the time, this time frame right here, and uh, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. We're supposed to be able to do that. Or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. 
These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. And so there's a difference between proper doctrine and what he calls empty speculation and fruitless discussion. And so we need to learn the difference. I know in theological circles, sometimes they argue about whether you're a supralapsarian, infralapsarian, or sublapsarian. And you're all going, what? Don't worry about it. Because it's a fruitless discussion, in my opinion, okay? So, but that's what I'm talking about. So we're not saying that, that you have to become this theologian who can debate all these fine little things. But you do need to know good, solid Theology, there is a difference. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. The NIV says, "Pay Watch your life and doctrine closely. So both our life and our doctrine... We need to be concerned of how it practically comes out in our lives, especially ethically, and we also, but we also need to know the truth. So both are inc- incredibly important. He says, even to the salvation of your souls, that's how important this could be. Uh, look at chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil, suspicions, and so forth. Okay, uh, So here we see uh, we do need to be, to be able to teach, uh, to, to uh, help people see the sound doctrine of our Lord, but we don't uh, want to have anything to do with the unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. Look at, second, uh, look at verse 20 I, I have here. Avoiding irreverent... Oh, it says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge, so that speculation and so forth. He's saying avoid that, but proper doctrine is important. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, kind of summarizes this. He says, be diligent... To present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly teaching the word of truth. Some translations say correctly handling the word of truth. I like that better. Uh, We all need to get to a place of maturity where we can correctly handle the word of God. And that's good for us. It's good for everyone else. In other words, we need to grow up because it's dangerous if we remain babies. The immature fall into needless troubles. Um, 
in uh, John 16, 1, he says, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. We need to hear God's word in order to keep us from stumbling, in order to keep us from falling into needless troubles. Another example is Proverbs 19, verse 3. Look at this one. The Proverbs are full of wisdom, aren't they? Uh, You would do well to dig into the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. It says, A person's own foolishness leads him astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. So his own foolishness is his demise because he hasn't grown up, but instead of recognizing that, he simply blames God instead. Give you an example of this. I have a stepbrother who, when he was 17 years old, he and two other guys went on a rampage of destruction. They got a car, they drove out on a golf course, and they destroyed a couple of the greens. Then they went to their school. They tipped over all the bookshelves and they took a hammer to the copier machine and destroyed it. Then they went to two different homes that they knew the people had gone on vacation and they just tore the place up and threw paint all over and so forth. They got caught. They got caught and they got thrown in jail. My brother had to go to juvenile prison until he turned 18. So for a year, he was in prison. But when when I talked to him about this, he said it was God's fault. God made him like that. Now, my brother has changed, okay? He has changed considerably. He's become a Christian. He has a wife and kids. He's raising his kids in the ways of the Lord. They're involved in church. He doesn't believe that anymore. But that's what it's saying. The immature don't see their own fault in these things, and they blame God instead. And that just simply... uh, Pounds the problem here, okay? Now, there is still hope, okay? This has all been sounding kind of like it's all up to you, right? You know, that you need to just work harder, okay? We need to realize that that's not true, okay? We need God to help us become mature. We need the Holy Spirit to create in our hearts a hunger for God's word that will drive us to where we cannot help but dig in and want to grow. So it's not me, you know, rallying up the strength. It's me trusting in God. But where is your heart? Do you want to grow? God will help you. There is still hope for the millennials. If you will pick up your Bible alongside a deep commitment to prayer and fellowship, you can be changed and then be a catalyst of change in your generation. It can happen. Of course, this is also true for all of us. But will you commit to God's plan of maturity? Let's pray.
Father, we confess that we have a long ways to go. But we don't look at that and just quit. We are going to resist laziness. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come. Give us the strength and give us the desire to dig into your word, to follow you, to grow, truly grow in our faith. Come and do that work. Forgive us of our sins, but help us to live for you. We see the danger of remaining immature. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here, perhaps they're not a, a believer yet. They're not, they have not become a born-again baby believer. I ask that you draw them to yourself today. Help them to see how good you are and that your way is perfect. And that it is through placing their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for their salvation that they can be saved. Let them see this even in the baptism as a, a pictorial presentation of salvation. 